Shumrabyog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shulok. Shulisten, the podcast taking a pop at culture. Shulok, Shulisten. 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 Oh my gosh, Benjamin, you've changed the tagline there very subtly. I don't know if you even realised it. I didn't. But, but sure, look, Ben, we don't have the time or the energy or even the inclination to talk about that because we've loads to cover this week, including, but not limited to, scrolling up the running order so I can see it. And, and, Ben, scroll up the running order, I can't see it. <laughs> scroll it up, there we go. Oh yeah. Oh, fuck, you've made me be glib at the start when we had to do bad news first. Including, Ben, the death of Nichelle Nichols, one of the icons of pop culture. Um, we're also having a look at DC, who've culled all of their stuff, Ben. They've gone, get rid of it. We don't want to put it in the bin. Um, you've seen the trailer of a new film, The Banshees of Inish Erin, which I've never heard of, but I'm intrigued to find out more about. And, collectively, between the two of us, uh, by, by which I mean me, have seen Prey... And Sandman. So, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, there's a little bit more to be done this week. It's the week of Dublin Comic Con this week, Michael, as we speak, Michael. Yes. As we speak, there's a bunch of people roaming around the convention centre in Dublin, buying various knickknacks from fandoms and having a wonderful time. Yes. And so we decided we'd take a look at the history of cosplay. Oh, yeah, two related things. Two related things. Very good, Benjamin. Let's start with the grim and sad. Ben... It's not that grim or sad news. Nichelle Nichols has died, Ben. She had a good innings, though. Yes, she was 90, Michael. She was going to be 90 this year. I don't know if she quite made it to 90, but she was at least 89, Michael. 89. But Benjamin, I mean, she's left behind a very strong legacy, hasn't she? Michael, if you were ever to look back at something and say, I don't know if I achieved much, I don't know if I got much done while I was alive. Michael, this is a case of, oh, you you fucking smashed it, Michelle. Yeah, you're probably doing all right there. And almost entirely through one show, Ben, as well. Yeah, but that one show led on to pretty massive things, Michael. So she was Lieutenant Uhura in the original Star Trek Mm. uh, with Gene and the boys. And (laughs) Do you mean Gene Roddenberry? (laughs) Yes, Gene Roddenberry and the boys. All right, yeah. Star Trek with Gene and the boys was the original name. They decided not to go with it. (laughs) Thank God for that. Yeah. Less catchy. Gene and the boys erase the stars. That's what it was going to be called, and they decided against it. But come here to me, Michael. Lieutenant O'Hara was a pretty iconic character. Um, Probably the the largest, or sorry, the, the, the most major representation of black people in television at that point. And women. And women. Yeah. They're both. Um, so much so, Michael, that, you know, and TV back then, it wasn't easy, Michael. It wasn't, no. Hard going. Uh, hard going. An L slog, as some might say. So, so much so that she was going to quit after the first year uh, of the TV show. And what stopped her, Michael, was a letter from Martin Luther Bloody King. Himself. So Martin Luther King said to her, oh, no, I watch it every <laughs> I watch it every week with my family and what you're doing is very important. And I have to say, that must be the first attempt of fans trying to control the <laughs> trying to control the media that they consume. <laughs> Martin Luther King was the first example of toxic fandom is what Ben Colopy is saying on this show. <laughs> Hashtag not my Uhura. Um, <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah, so. What we were looking at there, Michael. So she came back and she she continued to do the show, and that progressed, you know, bit by bit. And there was more and more, you know, pushing of the the segregated American boundary because it was they shared with William Shatner, which is unfortunate for her because it was William Shatner. But they shared the first interracial kiss on screen, Michael. Apparently, though, at William Shatner's insistence, Ben. Oh, so uh, as much as he might be a bad bloke, <laughs> I I personally believe Ben that. William Shatner just wanted to kiss anyone on screen. He didn't care what colour they were. I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it was a stand for civil rights so much yeah, as... Yeah. I don't think he is what, I don't think he was necessarily what we would in modern terms call an ally. He just wanted to give someone a big kiss. He just wanted to give Nichelle Nichols a big kiss and this was his yeah. chance. He <laughs> yeah, wanted that chance. from the start of the show. Oh yeah, we've lessened that now. Very good. Very good. Uh, but it was a hugely significant moment, nonetheless, regardless of regardless of Mr. Shatner's no, lechery. No. 
No, no, it's regardless. That's how it's pronounced regardless. now. Yeah, regardless. Regardless of Mr. Shatner's lechery. Uh, but she also went on, Michael, and it's it, it would be it would be horrible not to mention this. She went on to work with NASA, Michael, and was largely responsible for the huge recruitment drive of young women into NASA. I'm telling you, Ben, legacy all over the place. Like, Nichelle Nichols, fair fucks to you. Fair fucks to her, Ben. She's dead now, obviously. She's dead now, but... Fucking legacy, smashed fucking smashed it, Benjamin. Yeah, fair fucking smashed it, Benjamin. Spe- speaking of fucking smashing it, DC have just smashed their entire release schedule for the next couple of years. Yeah, in non-Australian vernacular, Michael, they've they've actually smashed it. They've, they've um, smashed it. Yeah, they smashed it up like with a lump hammer. With a lump hammer, Michael. It's a messy job. My goodness. So, it, I, I guess this is the Ezra Miller conundrum. Which I don't know. It's a- I don't know. I don't know, Ben. If this is anything to do with Ezra Miller, the 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 fanosphere, Ben, is we've we've got a particular listener to the show. I don't, I'm not going to say his name because I don't actually know where he gets a lot of his information. I don't want to reveal just in case it's it's yeah, just in case it's inside information. But it's madness what's happening in DC at the moment. It's just constant chopping and changing and rumors and power plays and politics and it's. This is going to be more interesting than any of the films they make. Yeah, someone's going to make like a a Warner Brothers succession style TV show. And yeah. That's going to be the thing that finally saves them. They just, do you know what, Michael? They're not making enough money, I think, is, is the first issue. I think they're probably comparing themselves to big old Marvel over there, over mm. yonder, and wondering why the model isn't the same. And it's very simple. You're not putting in the workloads. <laughs> well, it's... I don't think it's that they're not putting in the work. It's just that they've clearly never had confidence in what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's, I mean, so if they keep changing direction all the time, and this is another change of direction, and I'm sure they're sitting there in the ivory towers at Warner Brothers Discovery HBO Central or whatever it's called now, going, that's it, lads, we figured it out. Bonuses for everybody. But have they been? They haven't, though, see... The word on the street, Ben, and by the street I mean the internet, is that the whole thing is being rebooted with Black Adam. So is is Black Adam going ahead then? Black Adam is absolutely going ahead. It's coming out on my birthday, Ben. Oh, so we'll go see it then. We'll go see it on my birthday. You can buy me a ticket. Yes, I'll buy you a ticket for your birthday. Benjamin, I've lost my voice slightly from screaming at Comic-Con yesterday. I'm just going to have to try and clear my throat a bit to try and get my voice back. Hold on a second. Bear with me. It's yeah. not great podcasting. You spin your wheels about Black Adam. So let's spin my wheels about Black Adam, Michael. Uh, Black Adam is a, an interesting one. We've talked about it on the podcast before, Michael. It's, it's looking like a, a return to the, the Zack Schneiderdom a little bit. A little bit, S- Zack Schneider with a peppering of actual humour. So what they're going for, I think, is Black Adam is going to be their Iron Man. Oh, God. And they're going to restart with Black Adam and they're going to hang the thing around him with rumours saying, Ben, that Black Adam won't be really their Iron Man but more their Thanos. Black Adam's going to be the big baddie of of phase one of the new DCEU. I mean, don't... <laughs> <laughs> There's such dumbasses. This is really bad. Figure <laughs> it out, lads. Come on, please. So does that mean that The Rock is going to be a villain then? Uh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first time they've kind of broken from type. I suppose any Black Adam fans, not that I know if there are many, but, you know, any Black Adam fans will be delighted because in the comics he's a villain. Benjamin, I've never met a Black Adam fan in my life. Um, I've never. Uh, both both you and I, Michael, are probably Black Adam fanless. Benjamin, the biggest victim of the cull, the DC cull, the direct yeah. cull, was undoubtedly the movie Batgirl, which you were really excited for. I actually was excited for the back of them. I thought oh, it was going you? to be quite okay. good. It was, I was doing yeah, a big see, joke. So your, your bit's fallen down there. Um, I think I think it was a cool... So the, uh, hang on, let me Go get on. my thoughts clear here. Go Michael. on, get your thoughts clear, Ben. I think Batgirl could have been a very interesting film. I think Batgirl could have been a slightly important film in terms of defining a new tone for it. Brendan Fraser was going to be in it, Michael. He's in everything these days. Uh, yeah, I know, but he was going to be in this, and I was going to watch it because he was in it. Yeah, very uh, good. so the the 
it was co-directed by two gentlemen, Michael, uh, Bilal Fala and uh, Adil El Arbi. They're the, from Miss Marvel. They're from Miss Marvel. Very good. Um, so those two lads were going to be the lads doing Batgirl and they're gutted by the announcement that it's just been dropped because their film is made, Michael. It's apparently. finished, man. It's, it's finished. It's a finished film. It just doesn't have a distributor. Yeah. And they're, they're not, not going to be able to it. keep the film because it's a property that belongs to Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. And Benjamin, there's rumours are swirling again on this street, and by street I mean the internet, about why this has been cancelled. And the story that Warner Brothers are putting forward, which is a mad thing to say, is it's just no use. Is that true, though? I don't know, Ben, because Warner Brothers will put out some shite. Uh, some shite, Michael. So how bad must this be for them to say, no, we can't do that? I I just don't see that being the case, Michael. I don't see it being that bad. But I've, now- I've, he- I've had reviews, Ben. I've read reviews that said it was like a bad episode of a CW TV show. Oh, well, maybe then it's just shite. <laughs> That's the word on the street. Um, yeah, okay. Um, very interesting. Very interesting indeed, Ben. There's other rumours, of course, that DC have a new, I don't know how much to believe this, Ben, because, you know, culture wars, although the culture wars seem to be dying down a little bit, but there are rumours that DC has a new head honcho, Ben, who's less woke, and he's taken the attitude of go, go, go woke, get broke, is that it? Oh, woke, go broke, I think, is oh, yeah. he's used, get he woke, used the same verb twice. Well, anyway, what he's saying, what one of the things he is alleged to be promoting is bring back Batman as a man, as the star, bring back Superman as a man, not a teen girl Superman, not a teen girl Batman. That's what people want. That's it's so interesting to me that, you know, it, it's that classic kind of straw man thing. They're trying to take away our male Batman. It's like, no, they're not. Batman is still easily your most popular character. Superman, close second. Nobody mm. has turned away from Batman or Superman. Haven't they, though, Ben? There hasn't been a Superman film since Man of Steel. Uh, uh, Superman. Henry, Henry Cavill has been on that on that hook since, what, 2010? Yeah. Henry Cavill has been Superman nearly as long as Chris Hemsworth has been Thor. That's true, actually. And how many? We've had four, three Thor films, and you could argue that we've had four Thor films and four Avengers films where he's a major player. Um, crazy stuff. And 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 Henry Cavill in that time has had Superman, which people didn't really love. Batman vs. Superman, which people actively disliked, and Justice League, which most people haven't even seen. I haven't seen it yet either. <laughs> I still, still haven't seen, seen Justice League. I still anyway, haven't Benjamin, seen Justice League. If um, there's one film that will come along and sort it all out, it's Ezra Miller's The Flash. Yes, definitely. Thank God in that actor, Michael, they found a wonderful, wonderful, solid, stable role model for children. A real Robert Downey Jr. comeback story. <laughs> no, Except in no. this story, the Robert Downey Jr. character kidnapped a minor and ran off. Yeah, and now apparently goes everywhere in a full uh, in a full bulletproof vest and carry. He now openly carries a weapon. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, brilliant. That's someone having a That's mental good, breakdown. That's what you want. Um, so that film's not happening either, Michael. Did you, no, it's not. They can't can that, Ben. If they can that, if they, they can, are that, gonna I, can that, Michael, they cannot stand by that film. If they can the Flash, Ben, I will do a challenge on the podcast of your deciding. Okay, fair enough. Um, I would get you to shave your head, but it's a bit late for that. Um, it's a bit late, Benjamin. I'm follically challenged. You're follically challenged. I'll get you. You might end up doing a cosplay at next year's Comic-Con that you might not like. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, come here to me. I yes, don't know it? if Ezra Miller's going to shoot someone by the, before this film comes out. Mm, I don't know what his... I don't know why. I've never seen a man more actively try and ruin what was a very promising career. <laughs> I don't think Ezra Miller identifies as a man, then. Hey, I've never seen a, a person, person. Yeah, there you who go. so actively tries to ruin what was their promising career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you can loads Edward Furlong. Oh, yeah, okay, well, that's fair. Yeah, that's uh, Robert Downey Jr., famously. Robert Downey Jr. did fine by the end. Yeah, after a couple of stints in jail and rehab. Yeah, well, hopefully Ezra gets the rehab he needs and then we never see him again. Bad egg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, there's a, there's, ben, there's a few other minor victims there. Michael Harley Quinn has been axed the animated TV show, which is quite nice. It's quite quite a good show. It's a shame yeah, to see yeah. that go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I can't stand by that over that as a fact, Ben, because some of these things are probably still swirling around. But it certainly seems to be that Harley Quinn season three has been axed despite being made. Yeah. So uh, very strange. And then there have been Very a couple strange. of lesser ones as well, Ben. I don't think anyone's mourning terribly if Titans is getting axed. Titans is a weird thing that has survived for no reason. Um, yeah, I thought it was one of the stronger efforts. It was um, it was a move away from the CW-style DC storytelling to a bit more DC-DC storytelling. Yeah. Okay. It felt, well, that, more, it, it felt more like a DC show than a CW show about DC heroes. Benjamin. Yes. Not everything is super heroics, though, and sadness. Oh, God. Some things are just common garden sadness. Yeah. Common garden Irish sadness, Michael. There, there you go. Nice steep intake <laughs> Sorry. of breath. Took me, uh, <laughs> took me a second. It was, it was very sad, Michael. I had to take a moment to compose myself and, and get ready for this sad news. So, Michael, come here to me. Right, what is it? I'm, I'm listening. I'm experiment here. for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Close your eyes. Very good, Michael. Now imagine yes. that you were doing this podcast ben. not with ben. a run of the mill Irishman like ben. myself. Yes. Ben, this isn't gonna be like that sexy scene in Fleabag, is it? No, it's not. No, you're safe. Okay, good. All right, you're good. Safe. There's no sexy fleabag scenes here. Okay, good. Close right, your eyes. Yeah, then, I'm imagining. I'm imagining. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Now imagine you didn't do this podcast with a run of the mill Irishman like myself. Yeah, yeah. And that you actually did this podcast with absolutely class Irish representation, Colin Farrell. Yeah, I was thinking of Colin Farrell, Bell, even before you said him. Yeah, very good. But it turns out, Michael, that yeah. Colin Farrell... Yeah, the penguin. ...loves to talk shite. I think he does, right? yeah. Now, what I mean by that, Michael, is any old shite. Not waffle, just any old shite. Like, what your goat was doing that afternoon. Or, oh, yeah. you know, how long it took him to get on the bus the other day. Or oh, yeah. rather than focus on the DC cull, he might talk to you about how it was mad yesterday, how it rained for 15 minutes, and then it was sunny for 10 minutes, and then it rained again for 15 minutes, which made almost an hour's worth of, you know, mad weather. Benjamin, I know lots of people like that. I know, Michael. And so does Brendan Gleeson in the new film, The Banshees of Inish Erin, because Colin Farrell plays that exact character, and Brendan Gleeson's had enough of him. Ha! <laughs> That sounds so, great. You've hooked me, Ben. I've hooked you. Martin McDonough, Michael, has created a new dark Irish island film. That's what I call it because that's all Martin McDonough does. Did he do The Guard, Ben? Martin McDonough, who's now dating Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Michael. Is he? From Fleabag. So there you go. From you had an odd... You what had an coincidence? Odd little coincidence. But Martin McDonough, Michael, makes a... Gosh, Ireland is a dark and grim place, isn't it? Kind of film. Did he do The Guard, Ben? He didn't do the guard, Michael, but he did do in Bruges. I oh, did in Bruges. Okay, that's not actually Bruges. set in Ireland, though. But it's got two Irish fellas who are dark and grim. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's two grim, dark Irish fellas. So, Michael, this is no different. This is set, I think, at the turn of the twentieth century. It looks okay. to be about that time on one of the islands off the coast there, Inish Erin, um, which is a bit like the Aran Islands. I is suppose. it fictional, Ben? It's a fictional Irish island. Uh, oh, but it's good. meant to be uh, meant to be an Inish Aaron or an Inish Own or an Inish Boffin. Any of the Inishes. And Michael, poor L, poor L Colin Farrell is very confused because one day he turns up to the pub. Yes. And his best friend doesn't want to sit with him anymore. Oh, no. Um, what kicks off, Michael, by the looks of the trailer, we can't say for certain. But what kicks off is a kind of an island-wide scandal. Go on. Where the two best friends who have been best friends since they were kids no longer want to hang out. And one of them has took this decision, Brendan Gleeson. Right. And poor old Colin Farrell is left in the dark and he's like, why is this happening? I don't understand. Ah. I wonder what's happened. Yeah. So that's a very unusual thing, Michael. Go on. And um, that's, that's the kind of central crux of it. All the lads are there, Michael. Bloody Colin Farrell, Donald Gleeson, Pat Short's in it. Pat Short. And Barry Keown. Ah, oh, good old Baza. Good old What's he doing Baza? on the island? So they're all there, Michael. All is is the Barry Keown playing a, a shifty little fucker, is he? He is. 
He's like a shifty little fucker. Of course he is. By the looks of the trailer. So it gets very dark, Michael, in in the sense that from the trailer we gather that so committed is Brendan Gleeson to this end of friendship that Colin Farrell keeps trying to talk to him and he comes up with a very sinister self-punishment for this. He turns around to Colin Farrell at one point in the film and he says, right, for every time you talk to me, I have a shears in my house. I'm going to take that shears and cut off one of my fingers. Every time you talk to me. Now, Michael, that might seem like an unusual punishment, but it's a very clever social punishment because on the island, Brendan Gleeson is the best damn fiddle player around. Oh, no. And Michael, this is at the turn of the century and there's no bloody telly on the island. There's no internet. There's no internet. There's no season three of Harley Quinn. There's no season three of Harley Quinn. There's no Ezra Miller scandal watch. They're not going to get the flash. They're not going to get the flash, Michael. So uh, that becomes a a huge social threat. It's it's dark. It's grim. It's odd looking. I'm going to watch the fuck out of it, Michael. It's going to be an in Bruges style banter. Bantasaurus Rex. I'm here for it. (laughs) All right, you'll be absolutely sending it. Benjamin, Absolutely of, sending it, Michael. You'll be absolutely sending it, Ben. I've got a little action figure of Barry Keown looking at me call saying, don't call me a shifty little fucker. Benjamin, I tell you what. Slap. <laughs> give me a little slap on the head. Ben, I tell you what, though. Have you seen the the uh, the cast before? Speaking of Irishman's boss, and this is apropos of nothing, Ben. Uh, this right. isn't on I love these. Order. These are great. I'm so prepared. <laughs> have you seen the cast of uh, Cassian Andor, the new Star Wars show? Uh, no It doesn't matter actually. Don't look it up But literally all three female leads Are Irish women to spouse Why? Why? Just everyone's Irish in it Not the characters The actors the It's just I, full I of know, Irish there's, actors There's no Irishmen to space. No there's they no are. Yeah look, look at that Isn't that great? Genevieve O'Reilly Fiona Shaw Yeah Fiona Shaw's back in space Back in space Yeah Denise Goff Is she one of us? We'll have to watch it, Ben, and just just to support the support. I can't support say the that. Irish ladies. We'll have to support the Irish woman's boss. Genevieve O'Reilly is an Australian Irish actress. She is Everyone's known for Irish. her work in the Star Wars franchises. Mon Mothma, terrible yeah, yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, It's a great name, Ben. Mon Mothma. She's one of the resistance leaders. Benjamin. Speaking of, we met um, very briefly uh, Dominique McGilliot yesterday. Who's that? I tell you, uh, that's Queen Maeve. Speaking of Irish woman's boss. Out of town. Unrecognisable, Ben. Walked right past her. <laughs> oh, that's mad. It's acting for you. It's acting. It's just acting. mad how much Very acting good they can do. It's always changing their looks. Did you get a chance but to chat to her? No, you didn't, you didn't no, get her no, on no, camera, we, no? We, no, no, Ben. We were too busy. We're very busy. Very busy. We were too busy meeting the, 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 the people, the, the cosplayers. The cosplayers, the real heroes of Comic-Con, so to speak. Exactly, Ben. Very Benjamin. Good. Yeah. Speaking of the real heroes, I've seen the film Prey. Have you seen it? I haven't, Michael, but I hear my dog's in it. Your dog is in it, Ben. And he, he good old Bowie has a main role in it. It's uh, this up. Yeah, look it up, Ben. There's a dog in the film Prey. Ben, Prey is on, what's it on? Is it on Netflix, Amazon Prime? It's little Bowie. It's very it's Bowie. On, yeah, it's on Prime, I think. I, can't I think it's on one. It's on Disney Plus, Plus, yeah, because Predator was Fox and and Disney bought Fox, so that makes sense. Ben, it's the latest in the Predator film series. One of your favourite film series is the the film series. I'm obsessed, Michael. Absolutely obsessed with it. You're always saying, just cast James Franco. He's a notorious Predator. He'd be the best one. He's always looking, <laughs> hunting young ones down in city centres. It's a whole He'd thing. He'd be an absolutely incredible Predator. Ben, Prey is the latest Predator film. Um, I can't remember who's directed it, which is terrible podcasting. You you look that up for us there. We'll look that up my for you there now, Michael. And it's set in the 1710s, Ben. 1710, It's set Michael. in the 1710s, Ben, in the olden times, in the Cherokee Nation. Yeah, it's Dan Trachtenberg, by the way. Dan Trachtenberg, of course it is. I knew it was Dan Trachtenberg. And Dan Trachtenberg has directed the film Prey, Ben, which is a, a predator film set in the Cherokee Nation in the 1710s. So we have a film which has fe- received incredible praise, Ben, yes. in, in, for want of a better term, the media. Yeah, the and, media. And I have to tell you, I have a bit of a dichotomy because even though it is incredibly well shot right. um, with decent special effects and an okay twist on the kind of predator concept. Yeah. I did not like it one little tiny bit. No. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do, will we get into it a little bit? Yeah, let's, let's, get, let's do some spoilers here. Listen away now, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't want to hear about how Native Americans fought predators. Exactly, because that's exactly what's going on. Native Americans, Ben, and French fur trappers. Well, they, well, they did fight predators, didn't they, Michael? It was called white people from England. Ba-dum. Oh, did you write this, Ben? Uh, yes, I did, yeah. Did you write this film? Because that's pretty much the story. So, oh, good. My main here's right. So my main issue with this, Ben, is unfortunately, and um, no, hold on. Let's start with the positives. Ben, the wilderness of wherever this was shot in Canada looks fabulous. Well, that's good. Looks absolutely great. And as a predator fan, Ben, and I by a predator fan, I don't mean a fan of the concept of predators. I mean the film Predator. It's the original Predator film. Yes, this feels. In terms of that, the closest to that, it hasn't That's lost its good. exactly Ben. It hasn't lost its way and become a mad sci-fi spectacular um, about okay. you know. But what? What? Who? Who jumped on the spaceship in the new Predator at the end? I can't even remember. Adrian who was in Brody. It. No, Adrian Brody was in Predators, um, which was close enough to the Predator concept. I'm talking about the most recent one with Olivia Munn. Oh, I, I can't have no e- idea. I can't even remember who the male star was. Was it Joel Kinnaman? Joel. I, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But in terms of a Predator film, this is the closest in concept and tone to the original because it's a Predator hunting people and the people having to come up with a way to try and fight back against it in a okay. forest. And that's what's going on. What... what I didn't like about it though, Ben, is it has, unfortunately, a flawless protagonist. Oh no! It has an absolutely flawless protagonist, Ben. So, the the protagonist, I didn't catch her name, unfortunately. It might be something like Sassia or something, but she's played by um, one of your favourites and one of mine, Ben, Amber Mid-Thunder. Oh, yeah. You, you wrote, you'll remember her from Legion, Ben. Oh, she was excellent in Legion, Michael. Where she played the character who shared the body with the old scientist man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she was great in Legion, man, and she's the lead in this. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it suffers from what we have heard in the past. It, it's not a Mary Sue situation because it's not someone has inserted an idealised themselves into a story. It, she's just the perfect person. She's okay. the She's the best at traditional medicine. She's better than her mother who taught her traditional medicine. She's the best at hunting. She's the best at tracking. She's the best at noticing stuff. She's the best at throwing axes. She's the Mm. best at firing arrows. She is the best at recognizing that the predator is there. No one else believes her. Okay. Ever. And then, big spoilers coming now, Ben. In the end, she just beats the Predator. Oh, okay. Not through an act of desperation. She both outsmarts it and physically beats it up. That doesn't make any sense, Michael. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, Ben. It's one of the most nonsensical endings of a film I've ever seen. Um, by way by way of... Look, my, that's my main problem with the entire film. The only lesson that is learned in this film is... Everyone else learns that she was the best all along and they should have been listening to her. She was the best around. Nothing was yeah. ever going to keep her down. Nothing, not, not even keep her down, Ben, but even temporarily put her down because she's utterly invincible. Invincible. Um, she beats up a predator, Ben. This Amber Mid-Thunder is a tiny little lady. I'd say she's probably 50, 50 to 55 kilos, if even. And there's a scene where she jumps on a predator's back and stabs it multiple times. And the predator grabs her, throws her off, and she lands, rolls, gets back up, and runs back into hand-to-hand combat with the predator. That doesn't ben- make any sense. Benjamin, this is the same predator that killed a bear with its bare hands 20 minutes earlier. Uh, have, you ever, no. have you ever seen Avengers, Loki? Uh, Loki, you're not Loki, you're Ben. Have you ever seen Avengers, Ben? You've just given away oh, what I was going to, go to say. back to Asgard, and it's... <laughs> No, 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 Ben. Ben, have you ever seen Avengers? Yeah. Do you remember when Hulk grabbed Loki? Yeah. That's probably what a fight should be like between 
a 50 kilo woman and a predator. Yeah, that's, that's but she worked. she outsmarts him she outfights him she out agile it's incredible how one-sided this film is and how um, flawless the protagonist is and it really did annoy me and I was watching it going this can't Predator fans can't be enjoying this yeah. because Ben if you remember the first Predator film I do the, I remember the it well. kind of the joy and the thrill in my opinion of the first Predator film was you got these super masculine, inc- like massive, oily, muscular dudes, and um, and what's his name? The the writer Aaron of Iron Man Three. No, oh, uh, the, uh, Shane Black. Shane Black. So you get all these super massive, masculine, oiled up killing machines, and Shane Black, and they go into a rebel encampment with incredibly overpowered weapons and machismo. And someone says, "Hey, you're bleeding," and he says, "I ain't got time to bleed." Do you remember that, Ben? I remember that. That was great, Michael. Pure machismo. It's pure, unadulterated eighties machismo, and the great twist of Predator is that pure, unadulterated 80s machismo is what gets them killed. Yes. Because they charge in, guns are blazing. Yeah, and they're like, if it bleeds, we can kill it. And it's like, can you though? Because now there's a big hole in you. Yeah, Yeah. there's a big, huge hole in you. And they get absolutely humbled. Yeah. They get absolutely taken down. Their technology means nothing. Their muscles mean nothing. They're... Their camaraderie means nothing. It, 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 if you remember Billy, the the other Native American character in in uh, in Predator Predator franchise, he he tries to use honor to fight it. That doesn't go very well. From that doesn't work. And then massive mountain of a man who's actually not that big in real life, but in Hollywood in the eighties, mountain of a man Arnold Schwarzenegger can't fight it. He he is humbled by the size and strength and terror of this thing and has to resort to desperation and hiding and sneaking and just about ekes out a victory. Just about, though. Just about. He's um, to be real sneaky. He does. And, you know, he, he ends it in a terrible position. He's not a hero at the end of that. He's a mess just about surviving. And that's what's incredible about the first Predator film. But in this... In this film, the main character is the best at medicine, the best at hunting, and no one believes her. If this followed the logic of the first film, she would find out that all of her traps and her things don't work and she has to squeak out to survive. But everything she plans works perfectly. Oh, but that's shite. (laughs) It was so disappointing. And I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who felt this way about it, but it's it was... Yeah, I mean, it's nearly a horror film from the Predator's perspective. Because oh, she's just, so dangerous. It's, it's the prey that's finally beat the shit out of him. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's really weird. It, it just made me want to watch Predator again. Oh, let's go. Well, let's, let's do a Predator rewatch at some point. We'll do an exhumed episode on Predator. Oh, yeah, very good. Point. Still, Ben, it, it still might be the second best Predator film. That's, well, that's something. That's Yeah, but... I can't see Predator fans liking it. I forgot the last Shane Black Predator thing. That had loads of weird stuff in it, didn't it? No, Shane Black didn't make that, did he? I don't, I I don't know. I can't but remember I re- who made that. I, I remember not going to see it. Um, that was weird. It was dreadful. It was dreadful. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a good it was, film. No, it was dreadful. And Predators, I, I don't know. I would argue that Predators was better than this, but this is a better made film. Okay. Predators wasn't a bad film, but this is a better made film, and that's yeah, it's that a better matters. made film. But I mean, infuriating to watch as a Predator fan. As a Predator fan, yeah, you just really, Michael, you just miss the big oily boys. I miss the big oily boys, but I also miss the fact that their big oiliness and their macho-ness and their big huge machine guns all end up meaning nothing. I think that's a very good analysis, Michael. I'd never considered it from that perspective. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite taken with your analysis. You see what I'm I like saying. That. Anyway, I like look, I, yeah, it's 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 well made. It's very competently made. I don't think it'll stand the test of time because the the antagonist is just too flawless and never in any real danger. Right, there's going to be six more films by the end of the the week that'll bury it in the 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 snowdrift that is current <laughs> movie making. 
They won't be Benjamin any DC films, though. No, those are gone. Those are Speaking all Speaking of DC, though, Ben. Yes. I, I always forget that Sandman is a DC comic. It is. It's a Vertigo comic, Michael. Was it DC Vertigo. originally? Did it move to Vertigo? No, it was Vertigo from the beginning. I'll tell you what, so, though. It was in the DC universe in the first couple of episodes. Uh, it, uh, which Sorry, which one? The, the comic, Sandman. Oh, yeah. So Simon pops up every once in a while. Um, well, the DC universe was in in the comic. I don't know necessarily. It got it got very confusing when it came to whether the Endless actually inhabited that world. Um, and yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a confusing place for us to start, Michael. So. <laughs> Michael Sandman is widely regarded as one of the best comics of all time. I think we can comfortably say that. Yes, I'm comfortable saying that. You're comfortable saying that. Good. Excellent. I'm comfortable saying that. Yes, you were looking at me there as if you were waiting for me to agree. But yes, yes, I, I do agree. I was waiting yeah. for you to agree, Michael. That's how I the do, podcast yeah. works. You back yeah, up yeah, my I do agree. Yeah. I do agree. Argue yeah. with the ones do you don't like. I do so agree. Yeah. It became one of these all-time comics mainly because it's so freaking original in certain places and so wonderfully written in others. Neil Gaiman really smashed it out of the park, Michael. Arguably, arguably. Yes, Neil Gaiman is an unusual man who wrote his magnum opus in his early career. As, you know, oh well, he, he did. Um, he did American Gods. That's been very well received. Oh, he's done some huge things, but I don't think he'll ever reach the height of Sandman, Sandman. again. Mm, interesting. Like Sandman is is the comic, Michael, that you know people put on their syllabus at universities and stuff. And whenever mm. you want someone to take comics seriously, you go, well, well, I mean, there's Sandman. Yeah, you can watch Sandman. Have you um, heard of, ever heard of Watchmen? Uh, I mean, you've got that one as well, Michael. But Sandman is really the the one that all the, the cool kids were like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this is a good one. So another reason that it's uh, kind of famous, Michael, is it's fucking mental. It's mad shit going on nonstop. Um, you know, Sandman centers around Morpheus, who's a big old scary dream god. Hmm. And we we can't even really call him a god, Michael, because he's something else entirely. He's an endless. He's, he's beyond a god, Ben. He's beyond a god, Michael. He's an abstract concept given form. Mm. And, you know, one of the debates that has always raged is, oh, it should be a movie. And then people have obviously said, it can't be a movie. Mm. That's not how this works. It's too big. It's too broad. The scope is huge. How would we make it a movie? And there's been lots of attempts, Michael, at bringing it to a more modern audience outside of comic books, which I still don't understand. But mm. anyway, we'll. So one of the things that was brought out on Audible about two years ago now was the audio play. Yes. For Sandman. And it, for me, it was fucking awful. I tried to listen to it and I was just like, this is very bad. Okay, um, very hard to listen to. This is very hard to listen to, very unenjoyable. Um, they had an all star cast. It was pretty good, uh, but I couldn't do it. And then, Michael, we found out last year that uh, Netflix has gotten their hands on the rights to it. and They've Michael, made it a TV show. Since then, Michael, my my sphincter has tightened because oh, Netflix, as we've covered on this podcast before, does not make a mm. good superhero show. Mm. They're, not good but, with, but, they're not good with comic adaptations. But, Benjamin. Yes. Like your Titan sphincter. But, Benjamin. Um... Sandman isn't exactly a superhero show, is it? It isn't really, Michael. It's an abstract concept kind of show. And I have watched episode one of Sandman, Ben. And although I would say it is quite slow going, at least yes. initially, and that's what our Discord, Ben, hop up on our Discord there. There's a good on our bit Discord, of chat, ladies and gentlemen. Good bit of chat going on, Ben. And as, as some of the people on our Discord, including good friend of the podcast Nine Wassies, said they were slightly underwhelmed by the early going of um, of Sandman. Yeah. But, but apparently it does pick up later on and really start getting into the meat and veg of the weirdness. Oh, well, that's good, Michael. We'd like a bit Which of weirdness, wouldn't we? Very exciting, Ben. But I've only seen episode one so far because we've been busy. We've been at Dublin Comic Con, Ben. I've lost my voice. We've been very busy, Michael. That's why we've got a squeaky little voice. Tell me more about episode one. It's very faithful, Ben. Yes, it's a very faithful adaptation. It's a very faithful adaptation. And the comic book fans, Ben, if you're listening now, comic book fans, I've got something to tell you. Make up your minds if you want Faithful or not. Because one of the things I've seen people complaining about this is it's quite faithful to the comic. And I think, yeah, I know, yeah. That's good, isn't it? Like, Why no. would you complain about that? 
Because sometimes, Ben, being too faithful, people complain about it. And if you're not faithful enough, people complain about it. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's called, Benjamin, it's called the Watchmen slash Steel Dichotomy. Steel. Mm. Remember Steel, Ben? I don't ben? know if that movie should be used for anything, but okay, yeah, fair well, enough. Because it wasn't very faithful to the comic, is what I'm going for. Yes, that's what and you're wa- getting at. I see. And Watchmen was too faithful, they said, Ben. But I quite, I quite enjoyed it. It's slow going, for sure. It's But it's got lots of nice creepy imagery, Ben. It's got your favourite character introduced early, the Corinthian. Ooh. Who I, I know you auditioned for. I did. They wouldn't let me have him. Yeah, they said, no, sorry, we're going to go with CG. We don't want a man who actually has mouths for eyeballs. I was like, but I was born for this role. And they were like, no, sorry. No, you're not going to have it. And Benjamin, it's good. It's well cast. Um, it's got Charles Dance in it. You're a favourite. Oh, Charles Dance. What's he? Who's he playing? He's playing the 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 kind of uh, the the mythological, not mythological, the culty guy who captures Dream at the start. Oh, he's like the Alistair Crowley knockoff. Alistair Crowley. That's who I was trying to think of. He's playing the Alistair Crowley style Lord character who captures him in the beginning, nice. and it's, I, I quite liked it. Um, I honestly quite liked it. The CG is really good. That's it looks good because it, it would it would need to be. It looks like Sandman. It uses that kind of. Remember a few years ago, Ben, there was a kind of trend on on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook where people would make videos where, through kind of low quality grainy images, it would take on a kind of dreamlike quality where you'd be looking at something and it would morph into a bin and then and that. Remember those? the The opening sequences feel kind of inspired by that. Where one, where one of Dream's ravens is flying through the dreaming, and it's it, it's incredible the way it kind of swaps from an ocean to a beach to the sky to some clouds through not camera trickery CG, but it it feels very dreamlike and it feels fifty dreamy boys exactly, and it fills me with a lot of hope for the series, Ben. That's good, Michael. I'm glad that's a very positive review, Michael. I was worried when I, I glanced upon the Discord there that it was going to be rubbish because there was quite a little bit of thing and quite a little bit well, of consternation. The, the main, I mean, the internet seems to love it, Ben. The main thing I'm seeing is a little bit of people thinking it's a bit underwhelming. And that might be the fault of it being too close an adaptation. It's so, But it's a slow burn comic, Michael. Volume one is, of yeah. the... We, we, we've spoken about this at length. Um, volume one of the actual comic is quite dull. It's a, a slow-paced thing. Benjamin, and there wouldn't be any aggressive action to it. When we recommend Sandman to people, the comic, we often that, uh, recommend that they start with volume two. Go to volume two. And you can go back and catch up on volume one if you want when you've got a sense of the characters. But yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. it's interesting. Good stuff. I like it so far. I, I'm, I'm going to watch the rest of it. I'm, uh, it's got its hooks into me. You go, do, you, do you like it enough that you might dress up as it next year at Comic-Con? Uh, Benjamin, I, I, I see what you've done. Benjamin, I have unfortunately made a commitment. What, what commitment have you made? Benjamin, there's a growing Warhammer 40,000 cosplay community attending Comic-Cons in Ireland. And I have made a commitment that next year I'm going to be a demon host. You're a demon host? Which one? Uh, Trubial, Ben. One uh, of your favourites. So, um... Trubial's mostly in the nude and very muscular, Ben. So I've got a bloody trying... I'm going to have a very trying year in front of me. No more beers for me, Ben. It's going to be a lot of dieting, a lot of dehydration techniques to get you ready to play. A lot of dieting, a lot of dehydration, a lot of skipping past security and hoping they don't notice quite how nude I am. Who's going to be your Gregor Eisenhorn? I don't know, Benjamin. We have a, a... Remember Without a Stitch cosplay? Yes. She's doing a, a gender-bent... Uh, Gregor Eisenhorn. That'd be good. Yeah, so, and then there's, uh, do you know, Crafty Nathan Creations, Ben? He's a good egg. Uh, the name he, rings a bell. You you would know him, Ben. You'd know him from Comic Cons in Ireland. And he's he's done an incredible tech priest of Mars. This is getting a bit very nerdy. <laughs> this, okay. this, feels, this feels even nerdier than our usual podcast, Ben. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, luckily, Benjamin, I've yes. got the paleness. You do. I've got the baldness and I've got the kind of overall general shape plus a couple of kilos. But we can sort that out closer to the day, Ben. Dehydration, that's why diorolites were invented. Yeah, just to keep you going without having to... (laughs) Just dehydrate the shit out of myself, Ben. I'll be like a crispy bacon rasher on the day. 
And you look amazing, Michael. Look amazing. I look forward to seeing it. Isn't that the most important thing about cosplaying, Ben? To look amazing through endless suffering. That's it. That's all it is. That's what that's what Comic Cons are, as far as I can see, Michael. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, Michael, naturally, the Dublin Comic Con, as we mentioned earlier on in the episode, is on this very weekend that we're recording, and we have been faithful attendees. Well, some of us have been faithful attendees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't not, bothered not, not, my Swiss. You're a bit hit and miss, Ben. You're a bit I'm hit a bit and miss. hit and miss, Michael. Um, but we went and uh, we took a look and we, we did a video and that'll be coming up soon, ladies and gentlemen. So keep an eye on the YouTube channels and the socials. Keep an eye on them. You'll be seeing some content spilling out of those soon enough. But we decided, Michael, why not take a look at the history of cosplay? Where does it come from? Where does this fucking stuff come from, huh? What's going That's on? Why are all those why are all those adult people spending so much time dressing up as characters? Michael, you made a very witty observation. You said it must be Star Trek. Must be. It has to be Star Trek. Everything is always Star, Star Trek. Trek. Everything is always Star Trek. But uh, actually, Michael, in this case, the the history of cosplay has a really fun kind of well, not fun. It's never fun to have weird colonial cultural colonial roots in anything, but it's it's got quite an interesting little background here, Michael. Does this Go on, Ben. I'd love to hear it. There's a bit, it's a bit of a debate, Michael. A lot Go of on. people, a lot of a, a lot of cosplay purists, Michael, will tell yes. you that cosplay is a Japanese invention. Well, certainly the word is right. Yeah, so it's a portmanteau um, from a couple of different things. But costume play is the original phrase, and then it became cosplay because we gave it a little clipping. We we brought it down. But the the thing itself comes from the 1980s uh, and. Japanese manga buffs who loved their favorite characters from the Japanese comics would dress up and kind of mimic the playstyle of the characters that they liked the most. And that, what do you mean mimic the playstyle? Then what does that so, mean? So, so one of the things. So we see a lot of costumes and fancy dress and stuff like that is, is nothing new, Michael. If if we were mm. to look at it in a broader scope and say, oh, cosplay is just fancy dress, it's not. There's a few things that distinguish it. And there's quite a bit of research that's been done on this, Michael. I spent my week reading various academic books, which I really wish I hadn't. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got real deep in there. I got real deep in there, Michael. And um, one of one of the books that was actually very, very good and very, very helpful was written by a woman called Frenchie Lunning. Oh, yeah. That's a real name. <laughs> That's her real name. Was she, in, uh, was she in Greece? Was she in the film Greece? <laughs> she should be with a name like that. But she wrote a, a book called Cosplay, the Fictional Mode of Existence. Oh. And uh, she has a very useful quote, Michael. And I've, uh, this is, I'm very pleased because now I get to have quotes in Collecting Issues, the bi-weekly comic book book club. And I get yeah. to bring quotes into our messy uh, podcast, Sherlock Should Listen. Benjamin, I hate quotes. I fucking hate them. You know I, know. I do. Anyway, so <clears throat> when re- when writing about something that she calls the Benjamin. golden cosplay, she writes, "Yeah, Benjamin, yeah, I want to hear this in the voice of Frenchie Lunning." All right, fair enough. I'm going to do it in a French <laughs> voice because the name is there. <laughs> is not to produce and perform a character to take part in a theatrical narrative designed for an audience to view, but for an individual fan subject to embody and identify with an adored character whose persona is real for the fan. Actor and or creator of the cosplay costume. The creation of the costume is as much part of the loving and community aspect-based fandom as the actual performance. This separates the cosplay costume from its roots in costumistry. <laughs> Done. Oh, no. We've got no more French listeners anyway, that's Done. for sure. Sorry, lads. You've gotten um, rid of them. So what she essentially gets out there, what Frenchy Lunning is really, really emphasizing is the fact that to do cosplay, yeah, you embody the character as well as wear the costume. So right. you take on traits of the personality, um, and you know, in in the quasi reality of cosplaying, you pose like the character, and the photographs that you take are kind of mimicking the body language of a character or the facial expressions of a character. So it's a step further than your traditional masquerade ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or something like that into uh, a very immersive experience, Michael. And one of the other things that highly, highly marks this out and something that we've discovered in our own videos on cosplay is that th- the quality of the costume 
doesn't necessarily matter. It's not about having the costume with the best material or the best, you know, you know, you don't have to have expert tailoring skills to take part in cosplay. You can make an attempt at a good representation of your favorite character. And as long as you're showing a good deal of attention to detail and, you know, love of the character, that's just fine in cosplay. Mm. Benjamin, it's funny you say that because uh, there there are a few <laughs> at Comic Con this weekend. Obviously, there are some people who are there all the time, Ben, and we know them. We see them at every Comic Con. They really know them well, they, Michael. We know them well, and they dedicate their whole hobby time to these characters and really stay in character. And um, what's that guy's name? Dark Knight Begins, Dark Knight Returns. You've interviewed him a few times, Ben. This weekend he was RoboCop. Ah, oh, class. <laughs> And he, he was Robocop the whole weekend, Ben, and he was going around doing robotic movements and incredible costume, incredible amount of effort put into it. And he really played Robocop for the con. And, you know, he has a couple of Batman costumes. And when he's there as Batman, he's Batman. Yes. He is absolutely Batman. But at the same time, there were people at the con yesterday who were Batman in either kind of more cheaply made homemade costumes or costumes that they'd bought. And one of my favourite images of the whole con was a very tired looking Batman with his mask off with his two teenage daughters in the queue <laughs> at the start of the Comic Con with a fag hanging out of his mouth. And I was Please him going, tell me you got a picture of that. I didn't, Ben. I'm not into taking pictures of random strangers. But it was so funny. It was just brilliant to see there's the spectrum for you. Yeah. And according to one Frenchie Lonning, Ben, you, he would not be cosplay. He's just dressing up. Yeah, he's just dressing up. Exactly. He's just picked a character. He doesn't particularly care if he is Batman. He doesn't feel like he's representing Batman. He's just a dad taking his daughters for a nice day out. And he's dressed up for Batman like he's going to a fancy dress party. And he's time for a fag, Ben. In fairness to that man, Michael, the queuing system at Comic Cons is enough to do that to you. It'll it'll change. Oh, Benjamin, it. it's crazy. Twenty thousand people going into the, the Dublin Convention Centre over the space of two hours. It's it's incredible stuff. Yeah. Ben. Yeah. The other thing, though, that you've said there, did you say that their personas are real to the cosplayer? Quite often, yeah, or not necessarily real in the sense that the person is delusional to the point of believing that something is you know true or false but it, it's more looked upon as the fact that the persona is a real life model for the person playing the character and by that i mean it's an aspirational goal or it's something that the character or something that the cosplayer identifies with believes in almost if you were to take i don't know a life philosophy from the character and it's become a very concrete thing for cosplayers. Does that make sense? All right, but Ben, yeah, but I, I that next year at Comic Con, I'm dressing up as like a ancient evil demon spawn that has possessed a man and become this gross S and M daddy. Yeah. Oh, very good. You've got me there. <laughs> oh, that's the most you've ever hurt me with a single word, Ben. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm shook to the very core now. So now, Michael, in a more modern sense, I think what Frenchie Lunning is trying to get at there is the the depth of passion that certain cosplay creators have. And Dark Knight Returns, as you've rightly pointed out, he's an immersive cosplayer. He is Batman for the purposes of the cons when he's dressed as Batman and he's Robocop when he's dressed as Robocop. And there's a certain level of dedication there, a whole embodying of a character. But that's not the same for everybody michael sometimes it's just Mm. enough to kind of stand your favorite creation Mm. um and one of the places that this gets really really interesting is it's it's caused a kind of you know what we deal with when we look at this is a real spectrum of people as you pointed out there are people who dedicate like a year of their life to making one costume and there are people who throw a costume together say you know a podcast co-host who has to interview people and is told to be billy butcher and then gets his long coat and a hawaiian and shirt a great of some billy kind butcher costume yeah that was a great billy butcher costume <laughs> do you know what i think we were too far ahead of the billy butcher we hype if we had done we it were, a year man. later it would have been fine absolutely incredible but time. we did a billy butcher right when <laughs> right before yeah. the boys took just off just on the cusp as yeah. a show. just on the cusp it's we a were, real we shame were pioneers Ben it's a pioneers. real shame um, but anyway anyway 
you've hit the nail on the head. You talked about the con. Cons are where cosplay have kind of grown into their own, mm. and that's become a huge yeah. thing. But the actual origins of, com- of cosplay are quite difficult to pin down. In the early 20th century, we mm. have who is now argued to be the one of the first Comic-Cons that ever happened, and it wasn't really a Comic-Con, was in the 1880s, Michael. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So if we're looking at the modern Comic-Con format, in the 1880s, uh, there was a comic strip in newspapers called Golden Hours. Okay. Uh, And Golden Hours was a comic strip exclusively for children. Golden Hours decided to create uh, an annual gathering of fans of the comic get out of here and in the 1880s they even got a celebrity guest so pt barnum the pt barnum from the circus from the circus was the <laughs> special guest at the first golden hours comic appreciation convention he was the, the donal logue he was the tv was and the films donal logue that's incredible of of the time. So this is the earliest known example of that. But they didn't really take off from that point on. They didn't really grow from there at all. But that's as, you know, as a cultural starting point, that's one of them. Hmm. And then uh, what we saw after that, Michael, is in the 19, in the late 1800s and early uh, 1900s, what we saw were masquerade balls. They became a huge kind of uh, thing where you would dress up with masks and costumes and, you know, you would attend these kind of fun soirees where you would dress in things that you wouldn't normally be part of. Mm. And what we have there is... Like a um, sexy bee, Ben. Yeah, so a lot of those characters would be... I, I suppose you might have sexy cat ladies, you might have sexy things, but they weren't based on any particular property, if that makes mm, sense. A sexy bee. Yeah, so... Um, but we do have, in 1908, the first example of two cosplayers who are directly paying homage to popular culture of the time. You know, sci-fi here, and fantasy. Man. So, in 1908, there was a couple called uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fell, and they attended a masquerade party dressed as characters from a popular newspaper uh, strip at the time. It was... Magalax of Mars, if I'm saying that. Oh, correctly. Magalax of Mars, one of my favorites. So, Magalax of Mars was a, a weird uh, little comic strip, as you might have guessed, yeah. about uh, a spaceman in the thing. Go on. But from this Mars, couple yeah. turned up in Cincinnati in 1908 as characters from that comic strip. And they went around and people would say, oh, that's so unique. What's this? And they'd be like, it's from our favorite comic strip. So that became a little sensation. Cause <laughs> and the everyone news- went, and everyone went, Ben, nerds! nerds. <laughs> the newspaper comic, the newspaper that the comic strip came from heard about yeah. this and got them to pose. And so they're the first documented ah, cosplay couple. That's fabulous stuff, Ben. Um, yeah, it's really good. Um, but what, where this really took off, Michael, um, and the first thing you said to me, Michael, when you were when you were talking about it was, I bet it's Star yeah. Trek. But I it's bet Star it's Star Trek. Trek, Ben. It's always Star Trek. Those Star Trek nerds are always putting on Star Trek uniforms. Yeah, so SDCC, the original SDCC happened, Michael, in 1970. Um what? That's San Diego Comic-Con for anyone mm-hmm. that's wondering what that is, if they're not a super nerd like we are. Uh, mm. And they only had 170 attendees, Michael. Incredible. Yeah, very, very small. Looking at the multi-million dollar operation it is today, you know, incredible that at one point it only had 170 small beginnings, attendees. Ben. Uh, small beginnings, Michael. And, you know, there, there was a little bit of cosplay, but it was primarily for Star Trek. Of course it was. And you're absolutely correct. But where you'd be wrong, Michael, is that's not where the craze cemented itself. Believe it or not, a, a little while after that, a very popular yeah. film would come out. Star Wars. It's going to no. be Star Wars. No. You Jaws. Can, you, the film Jaws. No. There was 170 people dressed as Quint. There was 170 people dressed as Quint. <laughs> they Michael, thought it was cosplay. It was that. just sailors. It was just, <laughs> just sailors. sailors who were trying to get over their PTSD by confronting yeah. the shark. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, Michael, in 1975, the Rocky Horror Picture Show comes out. Ah, I thought you were going to say Rocky. The Rocky (laughs) Horror Picture Show comes out in 1975, Michael. And they encourage people to dress up as characters from the show. Frank Inferter. Frank Inferter. Bloody, I've never Mm. seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, Michael, so I don't know the characters, I'm afraid. Richard O'Brien. Richard O'Brien. The actor Richard O'Brien. 
you know, this happens and it explodes, Michael. Mm. And these things become popular and they're still popular today. They still do midnight screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show where people dress up as their favorite characters. Um, mm. And because of that, a very, very clever marketing campaign started for the Star Wars films when they came out in 1977. Very cunning. So the marketing department looked at something like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and said, that's mental. That shouldn't be making money. Why is it making money? Um, mm. And then they went, oh, because it's kind of an interactive experience. And then somebody said, oh, we've got a new thing about space priests and mm. uh, and Spanish Inquisitions. And they were like, oh, that's mental. How would we market that? Oh, wait, hang on. We'll give, we'll give them costumes. People have all costumes. So they do the exact same thing, Michael. They re- encourage repeat viewings. They encourage that kind of thing. And so it grew from there. And then obviously Comic-Cons began to grow in size. Mm. And what we saw was the steady increase in people becoming Comic-Con fans and dressing up as guests. So by 1980, there were 5,000 yeah. attendees at San Diego Comic-Con. And Still today, tiny. Uh, still tiny, but you know yeah. a significant increase um, over ten years from 170. But now, yeah. Michael, it tops out at about 150 thousand guests. Bloody heck! For Comic Con, I mean, yeah, exponential growth, Michael. Exponential growth, exponentially growing. Yeah, I don't know if it is exponential, Ben. I'd like to see the, the chart, but okay, go on. It's probably not exponential, Michael. I'm not very good at maths, and I'm trying to make it engaging for listeners. Ah, yeah, okay. Um, you weren't using yeah, exponential in the yeah. in the literal sense, uh, Benjamin. Yes. The thing, the thing that you haven't mentioned yet, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your okay. toes, but I might you just be ahead. steering you towards something, is every cosplayer I have met in the fair and great nation of Ireland yes. is because of Halloween. Yeah, it's probably a good point, Michael. So it's a natural progression for some people that didn't want to leave Halloween behind. But believe it or not, that's not really the central focus of a lot of cosplay history and cultural commentary. And the reason no, for that is... Sir- Go on. Go on. No, no, no go, you, on. go on. Go on. No, you said the reason for that is don't leave us hanging. No, the reason for that is a lot of countries that practice Comic Con in the extreme or cosplay in the extreme don't have Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Japanese, for example. The Japanese, for Halloween example, fans. Michael. The Japanese, for but, example. But that is very much the thing, Ben, about Ireland because Halloween has always been huge here. It's because it's our holiday, Michael. It's we invented it. We came up with it. Sound We're not having anyone. So. Ben, where you would dress up, but in the olden days in Ireland, you would dress up as something generically spooky. And your whole point was just be frightening to frighten away the spirits. But then over time, that that developed into be spirits, so the spirits would be frightened away by spirits. And then when we were kids, Ben, although they're nearly 10 years between us, when we were kids, it was be a Dracula or be a Frankenstein. And it was it was gradually becoming or a clown or a princess or whatever you want. Just be something. Whatever you're having yourself. But like you said, we weren't as kids representing the characters. Like if you, if you were if you were a princess, well, maybe if a princess, you might act like a princess or if you were a ghost, you might act like a ghost. But you were playing generic things, not specific people. Yeah. But over time in Ireland especially... And I think this is the influence of American popular culture more than anything. Dressing up as characters for Halloween has become more and more and more popular. So these days, if you go out for Halloween, you are just as likely to see a Walter White as you are to see a quote unquote vampire. Yes. So the scary aspect of Halloween is largely in decline, Michael, uh, in in that sense, because I think the cultural model has been replaced by something like cosplay or our cultural narratives have been replaced by something that has a defined visual representation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, you can't you can't argue with the Americanization of it where, you know, we grew up watching films where Halloween was about sexy cheerleaders and sexy schoolgirls and sexy quarterbacks. And, and the stabbing. Zombie quarterbacks and zombie quarterbacks. Zombie quarterbacks 4 is my favourite film, Michael. Um, <laughs> but... Yes. You can see, Ben, if you go out on Halloween in Ireland, you can see, you can just see people who are dressed up and you can say, yeah, you're just a normal person and you're going to become a cosplayer. Yes, it's, it's, this and is the seed for you. 
And it's not from it's not from the quality of the costume. It's for how much they're trying to embody the character. Yeah, it's like you have you ever excuse me, have you ever heard of bloody Dublin Comic Con? <laughs> Yeah, have you ever heard you of look taking into it down a notch? <laughs> Benjamin, I, I dressed up as Michael Myers for Halloween one year, probably about 25 years ago. Yeah. And the whole night as, Michael, as notorious murderer Michael Myers, I did not talk to anyone. That's commitment to the bit on a whole new level, Michael. Too much, Ben. Too, Too much, much commitment to the bit. Now you but know. I had a flipping great time. Yeah, you had a great time. Everyone else was like, who the fuck is that guy? Well, is that actual Michael Myers? I thought he was taller. Oh, I bet that hurt a little bit. There were a few tears rolling down inside the mask. But it was inside the mask, Ben, which is exactly where the tears belong. But ladies and gentlemen, why do you cosplay? Because we've run out of time, Michael. We have a, we don't have enough time to keep going. We've reached our hourly limit, sadly. There's more we could talk about. We haven't even touched on cosplay and social media or cosplay and technology and how that's pushed it into a whole new genre. But we will, Michael. We Follow will. Up episode. Say it again. Follow-up episode. Follow-up episode. Dun, dun, dun. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn more about Dublin Comic Con, you can check out the range of content that will be coming to you from Monday evening. Um, and you'll be able to see lots of different videos of uh, our good friend here, Michael, taking a look and chatting to various cosplayers. And good friend of the and podcast, Shane. Shane, chatting to everybody as they go along. But you can let us know, did you have a good time at Dublin Comic Con this weekend? You can get in touch with us in a few different places. You can find us on the interwebs at www.shomrabeag.com S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com It means tiny room in Irish. It does indeed. You can find us on Instagram at Sherlock Listen Podcast. Yeah, it's always updated with the latest in pop culture news and news and excitement. Actually will be this week, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at Listen Sure. Listen Sure, yeah. yeah. Sure, look, sure, listen was taken. Uh, sure, look, sure, listen was taken. And the best way, ladies and gentlemen, to get in touch with us is yep. to jump up on that Discord, baby. Hop up on it like it's the 1970s disco and you're dressed up as, uh, what's his name, John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. Johnny T. Yeah, yeah, he's no use though, apparently, but look, he's, no, he's, he's a bit of a dickbag, apparently, but sure, look, what can you do? Right, I'm off to beat up John Travolta, bye! Uh, I don't think you can catch him, he's slippery. <laughs>